On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in, in on him, sorry, while the crowd was pressing in on him, here the word God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down on top of the people in the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down my nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. When they came, and filled the boats so that they began sinking. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything.
during our time away, but if you just jump up just to verse 43, just to kind of give you the picture of how naturally chapter 5 works with chapter 4 as one event occurring uh, and working together. Verse 43 of chapter 4 says, But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Verse 1 of chapter 5, on one occasion. So again, you're already connecting together his preaching ministry, his purpose for which he came, and then you're given by Luke here an episode of this occurring. So they're connected. The power of the preaching, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom is connected to this fishing episode. It's important to see how. And what I'm pressing is that what we see here is a physical illustration. There's, there's, there's a lot of fish. And in this physical illustration, the multitudes of fish are an actual spiritual demonstration or a physical demonstration of a spiritual harvest or a spiritual reality that's going to come through the gospel of the kingdom. That's what the disciples are going to learn in this episode and hopefully so will we in the next few moments. There's a noteworthy piece here that I'd like to put forward. I won't be able to develop all of it, but I would like to before, there's an important example here in this passage as well, particularly to us reformed folk. That is, sometimes we wrestle with the divine history of the sovereignty of God and the gospel and human responsibility, particularly to us reformed folk, emphasizing the sovereign grace of God and the version of the lost, and then sometimes we come to grapple with God's divine election and his sovereign work in regeneration to the person of the Holy Spirit, we begin to question perhaps at times, what's my role in it? What's the point of evangelism? Why should I share my faith if God indeed is sovereign? Then what difference does it make how I preach or if I preach, if I share, if I relate, if I converse, if I, in other words, witness as a Christian? And there, there's a little picture here that's helpful for us, I think, and I can't develop all of it, but I would like to point out its obvious features that are helpful to us as we wrestle sometimes with this mystery, no doubt, but the importance of human needs in the accomplishment of divine purposes. I won't get here to label in the parts of pieces, but let me put forward simply this. The fish in the example, if you look, and I'm kind of giving away some of the but I do want us to zero in on this just briefly. If you notice, um, uh, let's see, at the end of verse 10, you'll see how the fish indeed are serving as this um, physical illustration of a spiritual harvest that is coming through the gospel. As our Lord makes clear, don't be afraid. Again, we'll deal with that next week, this aspect of grace. But then he says, from now on, you will be catching men. So, in other words, as you look at the fish and the multitude of fish that the Lord will be, by his own sovereign power, draws into the nets. It is an illustration of the divine sovereignty of our Lord working through the preaching of the gospel to gather the multitudes for nations. He brings the fish. This analogy or illustration is further that we know the fish represent humanity because he very quickly says such. You're going to be fishing then. This there's an analogy here, there's something at work here. Divine sovereignty and the word gathering fish is speaking to 
the gospel ministry, divine sovereignty, and capital. Through the means, however, of preaching the gospel. In other words, the wisdom of God displays the use, adaptation, the employment of means to the accomplishment of his purposes. That is, you'll notice the nets. You'll notice Peter pushing out, taking out human beings. Could both just look out, but our Lord would just make both one. Is that possible? The use of human beings, you drop down your nets here on the side. Then you'll see the, the fish of our Lord's doing are gathered into this net, and then men are holding in the net. There's a simple picture here of human beings that our Lord uses human beings, such as you, your witness, your preference, your concern to care for others, your expressions, illustrations of the gospel, and the gathering of people of God. There's an important picture here of both our Lord's divine sovereignty and human responsibility and employment as means toward the adoption of his enemies. But I want to press further as we have a helpful example here of divine sovereignty and human witness or the use of human means to the accomplishment of divine ends and how important it is as illustrated in this picture. Within this broader illustration, of the gathering of the fish, and the gathering of the multitudes of men. We are given within it a more personal and individual example of how the harvest among men and women will work in the example of Simon Peter. In other words, there's a broad illustration witnessed in the crowd, witnessed in the fish, and yet there's a singular episode, a singular person where we see this great work taking place in the land of an individualized person. That being Simon Peter. He takes the center stage in our episode. Look at the passage with me as we jump in into this fishing episode with this great illustration that is physical, speaking to spiritual realities and harvest, and yet also a very individualized experience here with a man named Simon Peter. Look at the passage with me just for a few moments. In chapter 5, on this occasion of, of, of what? Of, of what kind or of what type? Verse 43, the occasion of our Lord's preaching. So, so he continues, he is sent to his purpose, he is preaching this synagogue of Judea, and yet here is another occasion of our Lord preaching the word of God. So on this occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put him out from the land of the boat. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Right away, noteworthy here is, again, when you consider biblical narrative and the stories that are being told, every Every detail, every frame, every way in which this creates that scenario and opens up for the purpose and goal, each detail matters. I want to draw your attention to the first. You'll notice right away the first detail is simply that there is a large crowd gathering. In other words, this is a very big scene. 
There are many people here on the shoreline fighting for room. On the Sea of And they're there for their, as far as the text tells us, they're there for a sincere purpose. Indeed, they are there to hear the preaching of the Word of God. They are marking Jesus is gaining and arriving. He is considered here as, as Peter first responds to him in verse 5 as a master or as a teacher. So as his notoriety is rising, there are many who are gathering sincerely to hear the preaching of the gospel. And what we see here in our Lord's response is preaching to all without distinction. That too is important as we consider to whom we share the gospel. Do we consider who might be more appropriately applied for the gospel who isn't? That we then withhold witness based on our own judgment of another individual. Or missions as to where we go, how we communicate the gospel. Who is the gospel for? Here quickly we see that our Lord is preaching to a large crowd gathering and preaching so as to preach without distinction. That too can help and open our hearts and minds as we're forward to whom we preach the gospel as we understand the divine action of our Lord, his work of regeneration. It's not ours, but belongs to him alone. What does that do to our evangelism? It empowers it, strengthens it. And we must feel able to preach without distinction to share our faith. Immediately, we have a broad illustration here in this text of the preaching of the gospel, and yet contained within this broad consideration of many gatherings. There's one particular account emerging here. The gospel is going as what we consider generally. Our Lord is preaching to a crowd, as I said to you, without distinction. And yet, within this broader scope of the gospel going forward, generally, the gospel is beginning to work effectually upon a single individual who is gathered. This is the story that emerges. One who is present in the general call, one who is present in the general preaching of the gospel. Yet it's beginning to effectually be drawn to the Lord. Notice how the scene begins to develop from this more broad consideration into a more individualized account of the gospel. That's what Luke is framing here. It's a story that is going to emerge about the disciples here at the end of verse 11. And it's particularly now, if you go to verse 11, the, the disciples is going higher to simply Peter, and it began with a broad Crowd. Notice now how the scene goes from this crowd into the more individualized account because it's zeroes in on Simon So the large crowd, look with me in the text in verse 2 and 3 again, as there's a large crowd. I will make one little note here if I can. Lake Gennesaret, just for your sake, uh, if you've seen it in other parallel accounts or so forth when you look in the New Testament, it is another word for the Sea of Galilee. So just kind of give you your geographical parameters where our Lord is conducting ministry. Verse 2 and 3, once again, as we look at how the story from this large crowd gathering, crowding in, pressing in, hear the word of God as our Lord is doing ministry. In verse 2, it is beginning to narrow. We saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon. He asked him to put him out the hole. 
from the land. And he sat down and talked to people from the boats. Again, noteworthy here is the narrowing of the scene to Simon Peter. There are here on the shore two boats. Generally speaking, Jesus is simply using the geography to his advantage. Both sight, as you know, sight and sound are enhanced from being on the water. It is that straightforward. It's not tricky. There's not a deeper meaning here, as necessarily as we can see. Simply, there is a large crowd gathering in a very real sense on the shoreline of the lakeside. That of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake or the Sea of Gennesaret. As you, if you've been camping or you've gone out to the lake, you see that lakes are built with crooks and crannies or depending on where you're from, perhaps you call them hoppers or whatever that would be. I think that's from the south. But that is the idea. You have it, it sticks out, it comes back in, it goes all around. So sometimes you can have both right around the corner and you can't really see them because, again, it kind of sticks out, jets out, so on and so forth. So if there's a large crowd on each front, you'd think it's not really like going to the resort that is all beach or wooded. Of course, at that point in time, a large crowd gathering on a very narrow shoreline, they're pressing in. They want to hear. There's one person over here speaking of whom they all desire to hear. And as the crowd gathers, they're pushing, they're pressing in. So in a very generalized way, our Lord is simply using the geography to his advantage to preach the gospel for which he came, his purpose. That is, in other words, if you get out on the water, you can talk with a rather natural voice. And anyone within a relatively near to the shoreline stance, they can hear you very easily since there is nothing impeding or deadening the sound of uh, traffic sound. We were in uh, Michigan on our vacation, and we had some opportunities, a couple different opportunities to be on boats. And it was interesting to be coming to this text and kind of seeing the shoreline meditating on some of that in our mind. And we were at one point, roughly just to illustrate, we were about 50 yards from another. And you know, when you go out at lakes, um, there's swimming holes, even within the lake. There's some better spots to swim than others, and so forth, some better spots to fish than others, and such and such. And we were approaching that one pontoon, there was another pontoon over there, and those folks were swimming. We were roughly about 50 yards from these people, and you could hear them and their conversation on the boat. And I'm sure vice versa, they could hear us. Just to give a brief illustration that you see, there is nothing there that stops the travel or impedes the traveling of sound. In fact, water enhances and increases the traveling or the sound traveling. So again, our board, in a generalized way, is using the geography to his advantage by getting in a boat and circling out to the water that he can speak from water without any competing to feed and nourish. Crowd, generally speaking. Particularly speaking, however, Jesus is doing far more than using the geography to his advantage. He is also beginning to effectually call Simon Peter to his side. What do I mean by effectually? Some of us may be familiar with this language as we see the scene emerge where we consider our Lord preaching generally, of which is the call and commission of the church, that we would preach the gospel of the kingdom without distinction, eagerly. 
And yet in that general calling, or in that general preaching, without distinction, the free offer to all, there is a spiritual work that God, by His sovereign grace, does through the person of the Spirit to take that general word and cause it to be effectual in the heart of the hearer. This belongs to the Lord, not to the preacher, not to the healing, but to the Lord alone. If I could briefly describe what is taking place here in the life of Peter, as I say, our Lord particularly, yes, generally using geography advantage to speak clearly to the crowds, yet particularly speaking, beginning to work effectually in the public side of Peter as we What I mean by effectual quality is we define the effectual work of God in preaching the gospel part of the hearer this way. It is the work of the Spirit of God. Think of yourself in the hearing of the gospel. How it is that you came to lay hold of Christ alone. How it is that you came for to testify, to receive him and all of his benefits as he was offered It was, if I could describe it, find it this way, it was to you and to me, as it is to you, the Spirit of God, whereby convincing us, the hearer, of our sin and misery, we all need to be convinced that the quagmire we live in is sin and misery. We can't get there simply by analyzing it from the state of the flesh. But the Spirit of God convinces us, each one of us, in the hearing of the gospel, of our sin and condition of misery. He enlightens our mind unto the knowledge of Christ being presented us. He enables and persuades us. What might 
And Jesus chooses, as the text says, quite purposefully, he chooses the boat which was Simon's. Then he engages Simon directly by usage of his boat, this instrument, this getting into it. And generally speaking, he's using geography to advantage, particularly speaking, he's beginning to work upon Peter. He's engaging him. He sees the boat, he creates the engagement for the gospel in Simon, which was Simon's. He asked him, put me out a little from the land. And then he sat down and began to talk to the people from the boat. At this point in time, we're left to believe that the text continues, Simon was within the boat. Where Jesus then begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom to Paul. With Simon by his side. This is why we, looking at our Lord's work severally in the scripture, this is why we call it sovereign grace. God's plan for you, individual this morning. God's plan for Peter in this text that we're examining is sovereignly structured. That means that all the ups in your life are planned upon your God. He's guiding you, as it were, through highs, through lows. You live as you know in Psalm 23 in the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, there are words in this age, in that battle, sovereign instruction of your life, drawing you unto himself, keeping you, as he says in John 10, where no man can want you to All aspects of your life in his mercy and his grace are perfect. Here's Peter getting on the boat, rinsing off his nets, doing whatever it was in the first century they had to do to find out their time from being out on the water. I know now, uh, again, speaking just briefly in our vacation, um, you know, we took 22 many snacks, pop, twizzlers, and so forth on the boat with us. So when we got off the boat, it was a whole half a day and all jumped out on the boat. I don't imagine it's exactly the same situation. But nonetheless, here's Peter having worked all night, winding out his time out of his boat, feeling that time indeed was wasted within our Lord. And so sovereign structure is night, the night before, so as to perfectly time the intrusion of the gospel. In each one's affection, Paul, it is Jesus who has created the context for gospel engagement. His purpose for grace and salvation in your life from beginning to end will prevail. Second aspect of what we see here in the text of our Lord's affection all upon Simon, and yet I want to teach us to put our feet in Simon's spot, stand as though we see our own story fully, what the Lord did graciously create that day, that context, that Lord's day. Friend, that conversation, that witness for gospel engagement in our own lives as well as we see this is particularly 
Secondly, Jesus is the second general principle of what we see here, yet particularly here, is Jesus graciously personalizes the occasion. Jesus graciously personalizes the occasion. Look at verse 4 and 5. When he had finished speaking, not only had been preaching to the crowd, as I said, he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Doing when they don't particularly do it ever. 
Peter was the professional leader, not Jesus. If Jesus wanted to teach the Bible, that was one thing. He could even borrow the boat if he needed. But when he started telling Peter how to fish, that was another matter that happened. And if you see, you can, you can sense the frustration in getting back to Jesus graciously personalizes the engagement. You might not always feel that the gospel is the clearest for you. But it's the most gracious time of life. Oftentimes it does get clearer in the hours of frustration. This is what's explosive about the gospel. This is 
beliefs and resolves have to begin in our mind, in belief, in embrace in our heart that the gospel is not good advice. It is life-changing good news. And there is a distinction between heaven and hell understanding of the gospel as good news, not simply good advice. Often, as evangelicals have turned it on its head and thought it good advice, and guess what? In that moment, we come up with better self-advice. We find ways to even do it better. We find ways to simply it doesn't make any difference. We find ways that we don't need which ways that we can blow off the sacraments. We can minimize them in church life. We can ignore the ordinary means, word, discipline, prayer, and sacraments. We don't need more advice. We'll take it alone. But he says to you, it isn't good advice I'm offering. I'm offering good news. Notice how he illustrates this to you. In the place of
bait and switch. The gospel is not to be merited, but the gospel is to be announced. This is the gospel of the kingdom. The good news announced to you, to me, to Peter, that Jesus has overcome sin and death. And by receiving and resting upon him alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, you shall be saved from your state. for a moment to remain there if you have time. If you want to individually respond.